All right, here we go. What I want to talk about this morning is what do you do when everything goes wrong? What I want to talk to you about is really about the the life of being powerful. You know, Jesus, he, he hands us this opportunity by coming to the earth. And, he, and this opportunity is that we get to, to live a life different than we did before we met him. Before we met Jesus, we were, we were enslaved to a condition. And we were unable to break free from the grasp, from the, from the toil of fighting against sin, against fighting against um, fear. And what we have instead is we have this opportunity now to receive the Spirit of God, to be powerful, and to confront a powerless existence. Because many people, they live powerfully, meaning that they are uh, they're aggressive, they're, they're risk-takers, they're confident, I mean, that, that's one way, that's one avenue aspect of, of living powerfully. But what I'm talking about is I now have the ability to live responsibly in love. I now have the ability to live responsibly in love 24-7. Because I have a pipeline directly to a unconditional, limitless supply of love. Now, a lot of believers don't believe that. They believe that they are pretty captured by their situation or their condition. And they are bouncing around inside of what life gives them. Instead of powerful, to create life. This is what Jesus did. Everywhere Jesus went, he, he, he creates life. The Pharisees are like, no, no, no. You are stuck in a box full of rules. And you have to learn how to survive in the box of rules. And Jesus said, where did you get that? Why would you think that God is stuck in a box of rules? He's not actually, you built that box. And you try to get people to come into that box with you. That is a box of death. Come out here and live according to the law of love. Live according to the priorities of how you build relationships. Because in that is the fuel that you need as a human being. See, when you are loved, when you are walking in love, when you are fueled by love, it's the very best you you have. It's the very best you that you have comes out when you are living in love. When you are giving love, when you are receiving love, best you you got. So let's just imagine that being a perfect flow. You are Jesus. Okay? This perfect flow is the life of Jesus. You now have permission and empowerment to live this flow. Sometimes we think we're stuck with, well, I can only, I can only, I'm a love reflector. So if you give me love, I can bounce it back. See, but you're not a love reflector. You're a love machine. (laughs) Hey, hey, you're a love machine. And I won't work for nobody but you. Jesus says to his disciples in um, 
John 15, he says, You did not choose me. I chose you. Boom. I chose you. See, I choose you is one of the most powerful kingdom behaviors that you have. This is how love works. Love works because I choose you. What you do in return is entirely up to you. But when I turn my love on, bam. It's like it's like turning on a flashlight. You're like, I hit you with light. Boom. That's just what happens. You didn't have to do anything. Bam. You just got hit with some light. Bam. When I turn on my love, that's what happens. I choose you. I remember in my my uh, my wedding, Bill Johnson, he's doing our wedding. He says, Danny, do you choose Sherry? And I said, I do. And it was in that that opportunity, I made a choice. Now, this June we will have we have been married thirty years. Previous to that, fifteen years into that, Sherry says twelve. I say fifteen. It was brutal, brutal. It was it was. It was very hard to stay in that marriage. Extremely difficult. And and what made it difficult was we'd really never we'd never really seen covenant love before. You know, we, we were we were raised by My two parents, my dad leaves when I'm five, so he really didn't have much effect on my life directly. Uh, my mom, and then Sherry's two parents, who divorced when she was one and then remarried when she was six. Uh, she married another guy. Those five parents, between those five parents, there are 15 marriages. They've all been married three times. But they were married to people who were married multiple times as well. So there's like 25 marriages coming into our example, our template of what a marriage looks like. And our marriage is a struggle. I mean, we, go, we have seven days on a houseboat for our honeymoon. We came home on day three. Get me off this confined area with this person. That was week one. We had a really tough. I say 15, she says 12 years. Where I choose you. Is that somebody's phone? It's a child. Okay. I like, I choose you. Every day. Now, the last 15 years have been everything I'd hoped it would be. And it's just getting better. It's just getting better and better. But it's... It's the fruit, it's the reward of I choose you. It's the power of living powerfully. Now, am I saying that, that, that all marriages should stay together? No, I am not a proponent of everybody stays married forever. I think there's some lousy marriages that need to blow apart. Is this working? I just want to say that, you know, I, I, I will be the first one to step in and say, love them from another house. <laughs> we'll talk about that more tonight. 
But I, I want you to understand something. I am saying that my marriage should have blown apart. When, when, when Sherry and I were, uh, we did premarital counseling with Bill. Bill keeps coming up. Um, it was two meetings. It was, we fill out this Taylor Johnson compatibility form. And Bill sends it in to the psychologist. The psychologist runs it through his computer program. It spits out a result. He mails it back to Bill. Bill goes over it with us. Twelve years later, we're at Bill and Betty's house. They've asked us to come be their associate pastors. We're so excited, but I'm wondering if Bill really knows who he's asking to come be his associate. And Sharon and I were in the living room talking with them, and then we start disagreeing about something, and he starts laughing. He goes, ha, ha. He says, this reminds me of that note that was on your assessment. Remember that note? <laughs> what note, Bill? He goes, remember the note that the psychologist put on your Taylor Johnson compatibility? Remember the compatibility thing that you did? Remember that? Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I, I don't remember a note. I didn't tell you about the note. And from the kitchen, Benny says, Bill, you didn't tell them? <laughs> so now Sherry and I are leaning in like, what? Tell us what? Tell us what? He says, oh, that's weird. I didn't tell you. I said, tell us what? He said, well, you know, for 10 years, I'd take that, that, that profile and I'd send it into the psychologist. He'd send it back. You know, 10 years, I pull it out, the envelope, I go over it with the couple. Because I pulled yours out, there was a stick, a post-it note on there. It says, Bill, do whatever you can to stop this marriage. <laughs> no, you did not tell us about that note. Which would explain the last 12 years of hell, Bill. <laughs> I choose you. I choose you. It's the only powerful people can talk like that. I choose you. I direct myself and my life. My life does not direct me. And this, this is the opportunity that you and I have as believers, is we have the opportunity to partner with heaven. We have the opportunity to say, you know what? I believe that the Spirit of God in me is greater than anything out there. I believe it, I live it. And I can manage me to align with heaven and to actually change earth. I can manage me. See, I don't ever, I don't ever manage you. I don't ever control your decisions. I don't ever control your love. I never control your honor. I don't control your attitude. I don't control you. I don't. And it, it is urgent that we make that adjustment. And it's, it's really a, a, a place of repentance. I don't ever control other people. And this has, to, this has to nestle into your body. I almost said bosom, but, you know, isn't bosom down here? I think your bosom's down here. Abraham had one. Abraham had a bosom. So... Somewhere, maybe is up here. I don't know, but nestled into your heart. Okay, do you have one of those? Yeah, yeah. Nestle this into your heart and into your into your beliefs that I don't ever control you. I don't ever control you. Therefore, all the energy that I have to to direct someone, I point it at me.
I will manage me. In alignment with heaven, I will manage me. I will keep my love on. I will keep my honor on. I will keep my courage on. That's what you'll be doing, buddy. Did you hear me? Don't you roll your eyes at me. Did you hear what I said? I will be managing me towards my life, towards my situation, towards my relationships. This is the demonstration of power. Now, commonly, we'll have powerless people find each other. Powerless and powerless. And powerless people are scared. They're scared. They're scared because they're trying to control something they don't control. I'm trying to control out there. I'm trying to control the rain. I'm trying to control the, 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 the economy. I'm trying to control the president. I watch, I watch news. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about that? Turn the TV off. For starters. Because it's just an experience of powerlessness to think that it's your job to control that, them. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't take leadership in your community. And, you know, I'm not saying don't be involved in, in, in things that are going on around you. I'm not saying that. But I am saying don't freak yourself out by thinking you can control something you can't control. The Illuminati. No, don't do it. If you're writing a book about the Illuminati, I'm sorry, but don't do it. And don't get locked onto controlling your, your spouse or your children. But when two controlling people, when, when two powerless people come together, the, the, the culture of the relationship is control. Okay, okay. I'm going to try to get you to do what I need you to do. Okay, now you, you do, you do the same to me. Okay, okay, okay. Now you resist me. Okay, you resist me. Okay, and I'll resist you. Okay, okay, got it. Okay, got it. <laughs> and when powerless people come together, there is a spirit of control because the relationship is rooted in fear. And when people are scared, they want control. When, I, when I'm scared, I, I'm looking for control. So, I mean, imagine if the steering wheel on your car came off. What would you be thinking about? <laughs> Hope this airbag works. <laughs> no, you'd be like, huh, how do I get back in control of this thing? See, when, you, when your child does something you didn't expect, when your spouse does something you didn't expect, when something happens you didn't expect, <laughs> ah, I, try, I try to make the people do stuff. And then they resist, they resist, they resist, and we do this thing. And we call it love. <laughs> See, if you love me, you'll try to control me. And because I love you, I try to control you. Well, here's the deal. If I can't control other people, I can only control myself. And I don't control myself. I try to control other people. I'm really out of control. I'm out of control, and so are you. So we have two people who are out of control looking for the steering wheel. And then we have powerful people who believe they can control themselves, but also think that they can control others. And they recruit a powerless person. And this powerless person has now convinced the powerful person that not only is the powerful person responsible for themselves, but also for them. So you control yourself and you control me. But my job is to resist you. So that we have more of a parental relationship. You are the parent and I am the child. You are the responsible one and I am the drama. And now we've created a dependent relationship where I am dependent on your responsibility while I perpetually am irresponsible. So when a powerful lady finds a powerful, a powerless guy, 
She's really come to save him. I'm going to save you from yourself. Look at you. If I don't control you, you will walk off a cliff. What? You lost another job? What? You, you, you're on the Internet again with pornography? What? You've, you've crashed the car? What? You, you bounced another check? What? 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 Come here. Go to your room. And this cultivates a dependency in the relationship. And, and I feel like I, I need you to control me, and I feel like the reason I'm alive is to control you. And this is the codependency loop. I work harder on your life than you do. Simple definition of codependency. I work harder on you than you do. When we have two powerful people that come together, we, when we, we have self-controlled person meets self-controlled person and we decide to create a relationship together, now the culture is not control, is not dependency, it's freedom. Now we've created an environment where there is freedom. And I behave in such a way that I expect you to manage you. And I choose you, and I expect you to be able to do the same. And now we can talk responsibly about our relationship and how it works. Because I can simply give you good information I expect you to manage yourself with good information. And now the responsibility level has risen in the relationship because we have two people who are powerful. Only powerful people are going to take responsibility in this exchange. Powerless people are looking for somebody else to blame. Somebody else's fault why my life looks like this. It's my parents. I've been counseling for 900 years because of my parents. I know I know powerlessness when I hear it. Powerlessness says, "Hey, uh I really, I, really, I really need you to uh, pay attention to how, how you're using the, the data plan on the phone. Okay, well, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try is, do you mind if I continue to be irresponsible? I'll try. I'll try to do that. I'll try. Uh, uh, yeah, you're... Uh, you need to be at work at 9 o'clock. Okay, okay, I'll try. You'll try? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Well, it's, you know, the traffic is crazy. Traffic is crazy. I mean, when you leave yourself 10 minutes, the traffic is crazy. <laughs> Yesterday, was like, I left like 12 minutes early. I'm still 20 minutes late. Who knew? Who knew? I'll try. Imagine standing in front of the preacher. Do you take her? Do do da 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 da. da. Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> You'll try? No, I'll, you try. There's no you try here. You can't try. This is Star Wars. Remember Star Wars? Yoda. Okay, I'll try. Stars, you do or you not do? There is no try. <laughs> there is no try in Star Wars. There is no try in responsible relationships. Kingdom relationships, isn't you don't, you don't try. Powerless people say, well, you know, I have, to, I have to do the laundry, and then I have to cook, and then I have to put the kids to bed, and then I have to, and I have to, and I have to. And then I have to go to work, and then I have to, like, you know, put up with the people at work, and then I have to, then I, then I have to come home, and I have to do it all again. I just have to, I have to live. What? Life is just a big hamster wheel, and I have to get on it, and I can't get off. I just, it's just hard. But once you get up, I can't. I can't get off of it. I can't. I'm stuck on it. I have to do it because I can't get off. Could, could you stop talking? 
I can't. I can't stop whining. I can't stop. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, you can. Here, let me pull the plug. See, the, the, the powerless mindset shows up in the language. I have to. I can't. I wish. I'll try. All those infer that some power out there is at work. Something powerful out there is directing my life. And it shows up in my language. I will. I do. I promise. I did it. It's done. That is a different set of perspectives. That means that from the inside out, my life happens, not from the outside in. And so powerful people are bringing to relationships, I will. I did. I bring a commitment. I bring a promise. I bring strength to the relationship. I do wish I could show you some of these graphics, but we're going to get a new cable, right? Awesome. I'll do my best. (laughs) Powerless people are going to create a, a culture around them. It shows up in language. It shows up in predictable behaviors. It shows up with them being very anxious people. Very anxious. Because I never know what bomb is going to come from wherever. And I predictably am going to blame other people for why I feel the way I feel, for why I behave the way I behave for my attitudes, and for turning my love off. You're the reason I turned my love off. And until you change, I can't turn my love back on. So you hold the power of my life. You are more powerful than I am. Therefore, I blame responsibility. I put responsibility for me and my life, I put it on you. My child, my adult child, my teenager, my toddler. The reason I'm acting like a toddler is because you are a toddler. (laughs) Think through that. How did a two-year-old who's still pooping on themselves get in charge of your emotional life? Whose decision was that? (laughs) This teenager who's having a hard time parallel parking is in charge of your mouth, your attitude. No, they're not in charge of you. But if you're not, then here you go. You mirror your environment. Now you act like a toddler. Now you act like a 14-year-old. Now you act like someone with a hard heart. Now you act like someone who's bitter and punishing. Now you look like somebody who doesn't have any resources. Now you look like somebody who's an orphan. Because if you're not managing you, something else is. Someone else is. So this is the consequence for being powerless in your interactions with people. And now here is 
there is a cycle that, that, that comes into play when you give yourself permission to be powerless. When you give yourself permission to be powerless, you have just identified yourself as a victim. You're a victim. And there's a, there's a hat that you put on that says, I'm a victim. And when you have the I'm a victim hat on, you're powerless. You're power, powerless over what's happening. You're powerless over the, the, the marriage you're in. You're powerless over the family you're a part of. You're powerless over the, 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 the job that you have. You're powerless over your finances. You're powerless over your, over your health. You're powerless. You're just powerless. The stuff is just happening to you. Powerless people take no responsibility for themselves. So, powerless people don't change. I don't change. I'm a victim. That has to change. That has all the power. I have no power. I'm a victim means that I won't be changing. I just want you to see how deadly this is. If you allow yourself to be a victim in any of your relationships, you are forever stuck. And you will keep pointing out there. There's the problem. Problem's out there. It's not true. Problem's not out there. Maybe the thing that happened came from out there. That's right. What you do with it comes from in here. What you do in response to what happened, that's all you. That's all you. See, when, when, when dealing with people who've been victimized throughout their childhood, there are powerful people who truly can overpower them, who can, who can torment them. That person learns that what's out there is more powerful than what's in here. And so to come and to surround them and protect their victim mentality is not helpful. It is a curse. It is a curse to help, one's, help someone stay a victim. You know somebody who has gone through an adultery. And let's say that the wife went and had an adulterous affair and the husband has decided to stay in the marriage. I'm going to stay in this marriage. I choose you. He may even use that language. I choose you. I choose our family. I'm staying in this relationship. And so here she comes. She's ready to clean up the mess. She's, she's working on the broken spot, whatever it was, whatever, whatever led to that stuff is, 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 is being dealt with. She's repented. But I'm a victim. See, I'm a victim. She and what she has done has so damaged my heart that I I don't know how long it's going to take for me to actually turn my love back on. I'm just going to sit here and punish you for years. Because I'm so damaged over what you have done to me. I'm a victim. I am powerless over what happened. You are to blame for why I am so wounded. Don't come anywhere near me like that. Because I'm going to shoot you in the face with my anti-victim gun. <laughs> because the devil is just feeding you morsels of powerlessness while you believe that there's nothing you can do about your own heart. That person controls your heart. You don't. And until you actually forget what happened, you'll be forever a victim. No, no. See, if you've decided to stay in this relationship, you're powerful. 
you made a decision. And that decision is, I'm going to turn my love on and step into my covenant with you. Does it mean I'm not banged up? I'm pretty banged up. I'm pretty banged up. I feel pretty jacked around. I feel pretty scared of you. But you know what? Turning my love back on does something to that fear. It's like turning the lights on in a dark room. All of a sudden, that fear goes running. Why? Because I'll manage me towards you. Now, if I'm working with somebody, that I, I, I'm making sure that she has repented. She has repented. She's cleaned up her mess before I ever encourage him towards her. Otherwise, got a big old boundary. All the scary people over there. All scary people in my life are over there. That's where we keep the great white sharks. That's where we keep the grizzly bears. And that's where we're keeping you. But if I have a wife, then I love her today, not in five years from now, today. See, anytime you have a victim, if you have a victim, you got to have a bad guy. See, this, I'm going to show you a cycle here that don't let yourself get in here. See, you don't let yourself paint a, a bad guy. No, they're a bad guy. There's a bad guy. There's a bad guy. There's a bad guy. See, as soon as you have a bad guy, you got the hat on. You got the victim hat on. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. There's a bad guy. There's a bad guy. It's, it's somebody. It, it's, it's the person that hurt my feelings. It's the person that hurt my child's feelings. It's a, it's the school teacher. The school teacher is a bad guy. My child came home crying. I asked him what happened. And he said, this is a bad guy. Then where's the bad guy? See, if you believe there's bad guys, then, then th there will be victims. And as soon as we find out who the bad guy is, as soon as we can see their face and know their name and we got their Facebook page, <laughs> we now have a rescuer. The rescuer. See, the victim can't do anything about it because they're powerless. And they're being attacked by the bad guy. So we need the, the rescuer. We need the people on the horse to come. And now it's the rescuer's job to deal with the bad guy because the victim is powerless. Vic powerless victims can't do anything about their relationships with people. So the rescuers come in. So now the rescuer has a fight with the bad guy. Ah, what are you fighting with me about? Because of them. You are fighting with me because of them. Why aren't they fighting with me? Because they are powerless. And I am, I am powerful. I am powerful to be irresponsible too. Because what we want to do is we want to keep this irresponsibility loop going. This is how you do it. So the person that can do something about it is not involved, and the person who can't do anything about it is super involved, and the person who doesn't have a clue where you came from now feels like the victim. <laughs> and so they put on the victim hat, and then another rescuer comes and attacks the other bad guy. <laughs> this is like breeding rats. Write this down. There are no victims in the kingdom of heaven. There are no victims in the kingdom of heaven. So today is the day, just like every day, that you take responsibility for disagreements, for misunderstandings, for offenses, for conflict. Today is the day I take responsibility for my disconnection with you. 
I take responsibility by communicating. I take responsibility by confronting. I take responsibility by staying powerful so that the person that can do something about our problem stays in the problem until the problem is resolved or until there's a boundary. Now, maybe I might, I might recruit someone else, but it's only someone who can help solve the problem. So that person is usually somebody with some authority in our relationship or some trust with the other person. It's somebody they trust. But I will be communicating any anxiety that has come from a disconnect, from disagreeing, from being hurt, being scared. I will stay powerful, and I will talk to you about you. I won't talk to her about you. But if I do talk to her about you, she says, did you talk to them about them? And I say, no, I thought I'd talk to you about it because I was hoping that you would get in your, re- your rescue helicopter and that you would go shoot the bad guy. No, uh, there are no bad guys in our community. We don't have any bad guys because we don't have any victims. So my question to you is, how soon are you going to talk to them? Well, I really wasn't going to talk to them. Well, you are now that you talk to me. So were you going to talk to them this afternoon or this morning? I don't want to talk to them. All right, well, then I'll tell them that you have a problem with them. I'll tell them in the morning that you're looking for them. I feel so responsible now. Awesome. Because that's what we'll be doing. We'll be taking responsibility for ourselves because there are no victims. There are no bad guys and no need for rescuers. And I'll talk to you about my problem with you. I won't talk to her about my problem with you. But if I do talk to her about my problem with you, she'll be redirecting me back to you and then hold me accountable to follow that up. This is how we create healthy communities is that I I love you enough to preserve our relationship. I have my love on, and therefore all my relationships are valuable to me. They're at different levels, and we'll talk about that tonight. But all my relationships are valuable because all of them are a target of my love. I have an endless supply of it, so I love everybody. I love everybody. Not everybody has the same access to me, but I love everybody. But especially the people that are around me in daily life, those people, they will be clean, healthy, responsible relationships. I have no bad guys in my life. Can't afford them. Because if I allow myself to turn into a victim, I will begin the cycle of irresponsibility and destruction all around me. And anxiety will climb and division will have its place. And and I become a host for the enemy of the kingdom of heaven. So you and I have been given a spirit of power. We've been given love, power, and a sound mind and a wrong password. We've been given a spirit of power a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control or a sound mind. That's the spirit that is at work in you, not a spirit of fear. But for whatever reason, we coddle this fear and we, and we multiply it, we propagate it when we believe that we're powerless, when we, when we assign a bad guy, when we recruit a rescuer or when we are willing to play the rescuer and target a bad guy so we can protect a victim. I'm not a victim. But things happen. I am am victimized, meaning that things happen. Things I did not expect happen. Bad things happen. I I did not want that to happen, and it happened. I didn't see that coming, and then it happened. 
But once something happens, once I recognize I have an abusive relationship, once I realize my employer is an abusive person, my coworker is an abusive relationship, my spouse, my child, my parent, once I realize, once I, wow, this is an unhealthy, abusive relationship. That day, I am no longer a victim. And if I decide to participate in that relationship further in the way that I have up until this point, I am not a victim. I am now a volunteer. I've now volunteered to participate in this level of disrespect in my life. That even upsets the baby. <laughs> there, there are things that happened that are terrible. Terrible. What I do on the other side of that is mine. If I don't take responsibility, I'll be blaming something and putting a hat on. Powerful people require that other people bring respect to the relationships. I require that you bring respect in order to have a relationship with me. If you're unable to be respectful, no problem. We're not going to have much of a relationship. But my love stays on, and I'll be setting a, a, a boundary. I set lim- Powerful people set limits with abusive people. They don't play the role of victim. They set limits. They communicate. I'll, I'll go into that tonight more in depth. But the idea of setting boundaries is crucial to healthy environments, to, to, to healthy relationships. It is vital that you learn how, that we learn how to set boundaries, that we learn how to manage our time, our energy, our resources, our priority relationships. That would be mine and your job to manage those things. It's nobody else's job to manage those things about my life. You have to be powerful to be healthy. You have to be powerful to be free. The kingdom remains around powerful people. Because God is not trying to control you. He's not trying to control me. He's created a way for us to to be powerful enough to manage ourselves. That's his desire. That's his goal. That's his plan for us. There's two trees in the garden. Remember that? Well, there are a bunch of other trees too, but there's two that got a name, right? It was a garden after all, right? There's a tree of life, and right next to it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, think about that for a minute. It's a perfect place. It's a perfect place. You know it's a perfect place when you get to run around naked all day with your girl, right? This is a perfect place. How did that poor choice get in the garden? Did the devil come and plant that? Who put that tree, a poor choice? Who put the poor choice in the perfect place? God did that. Why would you put a poor choice in a perfect place? Why do you put a poor choice in a perfect place? Because in our head, a perfect place has no choices in it. See, a lot of people think heaven 
Heaven has no choices in it. We're going to get a spiritual lobotomy, and we're going to walk through eternity. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Now think about that for a minute. Is that what you're hoping for? No, no. see, a lot of people think that we're going to die and go to church. Oh, yeah, we're going to have the best preacher, best pastor, best worship ever. Yet we're going to die and go to church. So earth is just a big giant church practice. We're just trying to get church just right. See, we can get church just right. No, 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 we're not dying and going to church, people. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Come on. We are not dying and going to church. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that God is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is there's freedom. How much spirit of the Lord is there in heaven? That's where they make it, right? right see we're gonna die and go to more freedom than we've ever thought imaginable and you're not free if you don't have a choice wait a minute are you suggesting there's a poor choice in heaven well lucifer found one didn't he Talking about freedom, people. And you don't have freedom without responsibility. You don't. You don't have freedom without responsibility. And so earth is freedom practice. It's freedom practice. It's what am I going to do with all the incredible freedom that I have right now? Because there's just more coming. There's just more coming. And so this is where we practice being powerful. This is where we practice love. This is where we practice connection. I choose you. This is where we practice this. Because on the other side of here, there's even more of that. That's why Jesus says, the most important thing you could be doing is learning to love. The most important thing you could be doing is learning to love well. How many of you had at least two years of science in high school? Okay. How many of you had at least two years of math? History? You had at least one year of government? Um, geometry, at least one semester, yeah. <laughs> how many of you had at least one year of how to love people? How many of you had at least one year of how to communicate with other human beings? Oh, that's weird. So you've been prepared for a job, but not life. Huh. That's weird. Huh. I think it's a conspiracy. I'm not a big conspiracy guy, but this is definitely one. And I see it. Yeah, see, here's the deal. is, is The devil knows that if people learn to love, he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble because then everybody sees Jesus. We, we have to learn how to do this. And that's, that's what we're doing today. So I'm glad that you came. Put your hand on somebody and say, help them, Jesus. Yeah. 
All right, put your hand on your heart. Help me, Jesus. Lord Jesus, help me. Lord, Lord, know as I have, I need it. Yes, Lord. Uh, this afternoon, we come back. Uh, I want to talk to you about really how do we how do we communicate in in conflict? How do we communicate in in a way that lowers anxiety between us and and other people, so that we can protect the connection while we resolve things? Uh, it it really does depend on your goal because your goal will then direct how you do things. So if your goal is connection, and you're protecting that connection, you're going to need different skills to communicate than if your goal is distance. And if you think your goal is connection, but you behave the goal of distance, then you'll always be frustrated over the inability to create connections and to protect those connections even when there's conflict. All right? So these folks here are going to turn the love on, and they're going to just minister to a few of you before lunch. Would that be all right with you? All right. Let's start on this end, and we'll just work our way. Um, the young lady in the brown sweatshirt. Yes. If you would stand, please. <coughs> and your name? Amanda. Um, the Lord just highlighted to me that um, he wants you to know you are very lovely and beautiful. And, and there's, there's an inner beauty that you've laid a hold of. Um, and, and out of that laying a hold of that inner beauty, you, you, are, you are almost pave, like paving the way for other women and leading them to lay hold of that inner beauty. And, and going beyond that glass ceiling a little bit. Yeah. Actually, Amanda, I'm going to make you stand up. <laughs> I'm going to piggyback on that. Um, driving down in the car, we we're talking about beauty is actually a heart posture. And um, it's a power from God. And so I really feel like that you have that and it arrays out of you. And I see Ezekiel 16, 7 through 15, that the splendor of the Lord is upon you and your beauty will be known and your fame will spread throughout all the earth. And it's actually a power that you get to steward. Um, and so I just pray that over you and that it's something that you're going to teach other women how to um, step into because it's not about physicality. It's about your heart. And so we just bless you in the name of Jesus. And you are absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, there's a lady on this side. You're wearing orange. And you have glasses on. Um, yeah, that's you. <laughs> like you to stand. What's your name? Roxanne. I'm Miriam. <laughs> I just felt like as, as I looked over and saw you, um, God highlighted you and just said that um, you've been through a season of preparation where you've been um, just preparing to come before him, kind of like Esther prepared to come before the king. And um, just that he sees everything that has been done in that season and the way that you've postured yourself and and um you've found favor and he's choosing you and um the season that you're about to step into um you are like fully backed by heaven and you have you're prepared and equipped so just to like walk forward with confidence and um and just move forward do what um you feel he's calling you to because yeah you're favored and blessed chosen yeah Yeah, the gentleman in the green shirt with the sunglasses on his head and the uh, young lady with him, both of you. Yeah. Are you guys together? <laughs> I, are, are you married? Married? Engaged. Okay. And what are your names? Daniel and Jacqueline. Okay. Um, during worship, I felt like the Lord highlighted you to me and showed me a picture of... Um, there were uh, there was a, a connection, uh, kind of like a, uh, a excuse the metaphor, but kind of the, the that you were going to be handcuffed together in a good way. 
and that makes sense since you're engaged. You're going to be married. You are married. Okay, you are married. Good. That's okay then. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Um, I saw you both as, as batteries that were um, kind of hooked into, like you had cords going out from you and, and you were uh, connected to different things in your life. And I felt like um, the connection that you guys had, the one that you showed me, um, some of the other things you were connected to in your life was actually drawing energy away from your ability to connect to one another. And I feel like he's, he's inviting you to kind of disconnect from some of those things that are, that are kind of drawing the juice from your battery and, and turning that and, and putting it into that connection with, with one another. And kind of, sorry, don't, don't sit down, just shut. Um, sorry. Um, Daniel, the, uh, uh, I feel like there's an invitation specifically to you to, uh, in, to go to a new level in uh, intimacy and vulnerability. And I feel like there's um, an invitation. I specifically heard him say that she is the one that was prepared for you. She's the one that you are to love with everything that you have on this earth. And now is the time to step forward into the fullness of that. And I feel like there's a big, uh, that's going to be a big source of healing for you in uh, the things that you've gone through in your life, that part of that healing process is going to be involved with you opening your heart to her in whole new ways that you maybe never thought were even possible. So I just want to bless you guys in your marriage. God bless you. And the lady that is sitting like in black, a black sweater and like a black hair. Yeah, you. Uh, what's your name? Trish? Okay, yeah, great. I was seeing like so much freedom over you, like you were bringing freedom and you also carry freedom. And God also see all the small things you're doing for people and you're really faithful in everything you're doing. And you pay attention to details <laughs> in other people's life and God so highly value that and he totally see you in your life. So just bless you and what you're doing. Yeah. Brent. Um this is just something funny that just God has just shown me again. Um, I think your, your sphere of influence is about to rapidly increase. Um, bigger than you, you can imagine. I, and God gave me the word unlock. And then I just looked and I know your last name is Locker. Um, yeah, I just think it's about to rapidly increase. And it's not just confined to the church. I don't know how that looks, but I think it's, it's, there's an acceleration and it's going to happen very quickly. Okay, so God keeps giving me community words, so everybody stand up, please. Yeah. Um, I know not all of you are actually from this church. Some of you are visiting and that's great. Welcome. But this is for you, too. I just saw, um, like, in Beauty and the Beast. Thank you. Um, in Beauty and the Beast, everyone's, like, cutlery and clocks, and everyone is, like, because of the, cur you know, whatever. It's a representation of, like, who they are, what they did. And I just feel like all of you are tools. And you're each different tools, but you have one thing in common, which is you have a little broom attached to you. And you have the ability to clean each other off and call each other up and say, no, you're a spade. This is exactly what you do. This is who you are. This is the goal that I see in you. And you all are coming into alignment with each other. You're in the shed perfectly lining up so that you will work to um, just the maximum effect of what God has called you to be. And each one of you are different. Obviously, we're a body. And, um, yeah, I just see more unification in that and more gifts and more talents and more identity being called out in each one of you so I bless that in you I say clean each other off well call each other up well um, because now is the time for that so bless all of you awesome um, thank you so much team that was uh, Danny didn't mention it this time but in case you were 
new this morning. That was the uh, some of the Bethel students and interns up here. And uh, they will be back again to minister after the next two, uh, well, at least next meeting for sure, and maybe tonight's as well. Um, I do happen to know that they're all taking off. Uh, the team is going to take off for lunch with Danny today um, to be with him. So this particular time, they're not going to stick around after the meeting like last night to be ministered to. However, I believe this afternoon that could work. I'm just going to speak for you guys. Um, and uh, the other thing, it reminds you again, especially if you're not coming back, um, please please give a gift um, just to bless Danny and his ministry and, and really to thank the Lord for um, his goodness in your life and to us through through uh, Danny specifically this weekend. So if you uh, want to do that, we're gonna I'm going to leave these up on the stage and inside also are envelopes, um, both for uh, this is for credit card if you wanted to do that for an offering, but then just the offering tithe because if you give cash and you want it, you know, for records for IRS and all that, then you we will keep track of it for you. All right. Checks, checks made out to Blazing Fire Church. And we are going to be back here at 2. 